Hello. <laughs> it's nice to be here. It's been a long time. Um, I joined the church about 25 years ago, the same time as Johnny. Uh, but I did know Johnny a bit before that. A um, couple of weeks ago, he uh, told you that I dropped him down a manhole into a caving system. Well, I didn't quite. We had experienced former Marines overseeing the activities on these go-for-it holidays. And I was very wise. I stayed above ground, had a cup of coffee, and waited for them all to surface. <laughs> we, uh, my friend Anne and I, we ran go-for-it adventure holidays for young people. And the idea was to challenge them, to, to help them see what they were capable of, and to stretch them. And uh, we used all kinds of activities. Do you want to see a photo of Johnny? Yes. Let's see if we can get it up. Can you see him in the corner? It's not the front one. It's the one in the corner. And he's sweet. <laughs> so Johnny used to come on these adventure holidays with us and we did all kinds of things. We did canoeing, gorge walking, climbing, Raft building, I think we've got a photo of that one. And um, sometimes it works, and then we move on to the other one and see that sometimes they didn't quite work so well. Um, uh, we went to um, Dartmoor Training Centre in the middle of Dartmoor. Um, I don't know, I've probably done them out of order. There we go. Beautiful situation, great, great lot of fun. And uh, one of the activities that we did was to get the 40-odd young people into groups of five and six. And we uh, said that they were going to have clues, and as groups, they were going to go out around Dartmoor and find their way around by answering these clues, following the clues. Um, so the first thing they had to do was choose a leader from their group, and that would be the leader for the group, they thought. So by the time we got to the second clue, we let them in on another secret, and that was that their leader in this exercise had been seriously hurt, broken their legs, wouldn't be able to walk, and they wouldn't be able to talk either because they got concussion. And so they would have to build a stretcher and carry him on the rest of the activity. And the leader would not be able to take any further part in the rest of the activity. Now, that's hard for a leader to shut up and be quiet and be carried. But that was part of the challenge. And the challenge for the rest of the group was to work together to build the stretcher, to carry him, to sort out how to carry him, who's carrying, and to answer the clues together. So it was challenging and uh, took them out of their comfort zones. But it was great fun as well. So the exercise was planned to take them out of their comfort zones. And that's a link to what I want to speak about today. We're going to look very briefly at three aspects of who God is. I think we could all list loads and loads of aspects of who God is, but we're just going to just look very briefly at three. And then we're going to move on to what God does. Who God is, is utterly dependable. The same yesterday, today, forever, unchanging, He's just in all his ways. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never lets us down. He is God, utterly faithful. The three aspects of God are the omnis. 
omnipresent. He sees all, which means he's present everywhere at the same time. Nothing escapes his notice. We can't hide anything on the outside or on the inside. He is omnipresent and he sees all. He's omniscient, put my teeth in, which means having complete and unlimited knowledge, awareness, or understanding. He's able to perceive all things. He knows all. So he sees all, and he knows all. And then omnipotent, which is all-powerful. Nothing is too hard for him, and there's no power greater than him. So who God is, is steadfast, faithful, unmoving, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we need that. We need a God who is faithful and just and steadfast and solid and dependable and reliable because what he does is often surprising and challenging. And that's what I want to sort of focus on for the rest of this time. Life is full of the unexpected and challenges and we're just going to look at three ways. I mean, there are so many ways, but three ways that he is uh, particularly surprising. He chooses unlikely people. Does anybody remember Eddie the Eagle? Younger ones amongst us, maybe not. <laughs> I think we've got a picture of him. There he is. And then we got one of him actually doing his event, which was ski jumping. Eddie was self-funded, he was a plasterer, and he had to support himself through this, and he is the most unlikely candidate to represent us in the Olympics. He had big, thick glasses, because he was very long-sighted, and when he went down the ski jib, he had to wear these glasses, and they often fogged up, so by the time he got to the bottom of the ski jump, he couldn't see where he was going. But brave. So brave, he pushed forward and he did it. He came last in both his events, but good on him for having a go. All through the Bible, we see how God chose the most unlikely people to do amazing things. And we're just going to look at one, uh, Moses. A bit of background. In Exodus 2 to 4, we read Moses was born a Hebrew, one of the children of Israel, who were flourishing in Egypt. Pharaoh was scared of them because they were flourishing and they were growing in number and strength and he was a bit worried that they were going to take over. So he put slave masters over them and it's, they were still flourishing, so he told the midwives to kill the boys. Not the girls, just the boys. Kill all the boys born. Well, one midwife with the family decided she wasn't going to kill Moses. And they put him in a basket with tar around it to make it waterproof. And they put him in the bulrushes to try and save him. And he was saved because Pharaoh's daughter found him. And he was looked after and grew up. And eventually he moved into Pharaoh's household. He was part of Pharaoh's household. So he had quite a bit of position I don't know if he was a bit entitled even. But he was out one day and he saw an Egyptian um, beating one of the Hebrew slaves. And he went and he looked around and he thought, nobody can see me. And he killed him. He killed this Egyptian. A little while later, he's out and he sees two Hebrews fighting. And uh, 
He challenged, got involved in it, and they said, oh, you're going to kill us like you did that Egyptian. And he realized the penny dropped, he'd been seen. And Pharaoh found out, and he wanted to kill him. And so he fled to Midian, and he was in the backside of the desert for 40 years. Got married, and he was looking after the sheep for his father-in-law. One day, he was out, and he saw this bush on fire, flaming bush. And the thing that caught his attention wasn't that it was a bush on fire, because that happened frequently. But this one was not consumed. So it was different and it caught his attention. The Hebrew slaves were crying out to God to rescue them from their slavery. And the surprise was that Moses at the burning bush heard God say to him, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He was sending him back sending him back to Egypt. His experience there at the end was pretty frightening. And he was being asked to go back. What was going through his mind? I had an experience of going back once. I was, most of my career I was working in admin and I went to West Hearts College and I trained um, while I was working in advice and guidance and I loved it, I really loved it. And I didn't want to go back to admin. Um, but God woke me up one morning and he said, I'm going to offer you two jobs, take the first. Well, that's mad, isn't it? I mean, why would, why would you say that? It was so mad that I knew it was God. It was so surprising. It couldn't have been me. I wouldn't have made that up. Two jobs, take the first. Well, why not just offer me one? But, okay. But that started the conversation. And I, it just, you know, often a prophetic word will start the conversation. It's the beginning. It's not the completion of it. The prophetic word opens the conversation. And so I chatted to him about it quite a lot. And after a while, I realized that if he was going to offer me two jobs, I'd need to apply for two jobs. So I applied for one at the college doing advice and guidance, which I loved. And there was another opportunity that arose that was uh, working back in admin. And I, I didn't really want to go back to admin. It was going back. And I put a lot of effort into being trained in advice and guidance, and I loved it. So I didn't really want to go back into admin. But my friend, who was very prophetic, said to me, um, I think you need to apply for that job. So... I applied, had the interview, and that job was offered to me on the Friday, and the job in the advice and guidance was offered to me on the following Tuesday. So I had to go back to admin. I can't say I was happy about it, but when God gives you a word, it's because it's for you to hang on to. Quite often, just circumstances, you get a knowing in your knower and circumstances confirm that this is the way to go. But sometimes when God has something for you to do that is going to not be that easy, he gives you a prophetic word to hold on to. And that weird word, I'm going to offer you two jobs, take the first, really grabbed me. And I knew I'd have to hang on to it. I didn't enjoy the admin, I found it hard, but with that word I was able to hang on 
And eventually, in that job, I was able to train um, in budgeting coaching and uh, debt coaching. And I got back into doing advice and guidance, which is what I really wanted to do. So it was a journey back, but also a journey forward. And it was just so encouraging when, um, by holding on to that word and keeping going, God brought me back. And it was much more fulfilling than the advice and guidance work that I'd done before. So point number one is God chooses unlikely people like Moses. And sometimes he asks you to do stuff that you don't want to do while you're doing that. Point two, he doesn't always do the same things. Often he does things differently. In Exodus 17, we read of the incident where the children of Israel were crossing the desert He'd run out of water. There was no water for them or their animals. And so they were moaning and complaining to Moses. And Moses was fed up with them moaning and complaining. And he chatted to God about it. And God said, Moses, strike the the rock with your staff. And I'll bring water out of the rock. So Moses struck the rock with his staff. And out came water. Problem solved. He'd listened to God. And it worked out. They had the water. A different situation, well, similar situation, really, a bit later on, was in Numbers 20. And the children of Israel were grumbling and complaining again as there was no water for them or their animals. Same situation. And they were really stumbling, um, com- grumbling and complaining. And um, Moses felt like they were going to stone him. He was really upset. And, uh, you know, Lord, what am I going to do? And God said to him, speak to the rock. But Moses was past listening, really. He'd just gone past it. He was so upset with these people, grumbling and complaining. 40 years they were in the desert. And he just raised his hands and he hit that rock twice. And water came out. God was faithful. And they all had enough water for them and their flocks. But it had an impact on Moses. Because he didn't listen to what God said. God said, speak to the rock. And the consequence of that was he didn't get to go into the promised land. That's harsh, isn't it? It's really important that we listen. It's so important that we listen to what God is saying on each occasion. We can't look back and assume that he's saying the same as he did last time. We need to be listening, waiting on him for every occasion in every day so that we hear what he's saying for this particular occasion. First time it was hit the rock. Second time it was speak to the rock. If we move on um, and look into the Gospels, we read of uh, four occasions where Jesus healed the blind. I'm sorry, I keep on moving my microphone. He told me, hold it here, and I keep forgetting. Um, Uh, So, um, in Matthew 9, we read um, about two men who came to Jesus who were blind, and he touched them, and they were healed. And then in Mark 8, we read that the disciples brought another blind man to him, and they said, Jesus, will you touch him? Because that's what he'd done last time. But instead, Jesus spit in the man's eyes. It's a bit different, isn't it? And... He spit in his eyes and then he touched him and he was healed. Amazing. 
Let me move on to Luke 18. And there's another blind man. And this time he spoke to the man. Didn't touch him. Spoke to the man. And then in John 9, Jesus had another blind man come and ask for healing. And he took him by the hand and led him out of the village. And he spit on the ground and made mud to put on the man's eyes and told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And this was the guy who, when he tried to see the first time, he saw men walking his trees. So I had another go and then he was healed completely. Four occasions where Jesus healed the blind man. Different on each occasion. Are we ready for the different? Or do we just carry on and think, oh, well, God did it this way last time and it worked, so we'll do it again this, that way. When we pray with people or have an opportunity to, to pray with people, do we just do our usual prayer, come Holy Spirit, which is great. I always use that one. But do we then go into a prayer that has worked before? Or do we listen and say, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing today in this person? What do you want to say to this person? And he might not give it to you, but he might give it to them direct. And you can trust him to do the right thing when we wait, when we're just quiet and we wait and say, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? It's his work, not ours. Talking about healing, a few years ago, um, I was infected while away on holiday with a tick bite and my leg swole up and I felt really poorly and um, went to the doctor and it just so happened on that day that it had come up in the, um, what do they call it, bullseye, which is a sign that it's a tick bite and uh, the doctor said he thought it might be, um, you know, Lyme disease because I was so poorly. And um, uh, so... My sister was living with me at the time, Nikki, and we decided to go up to London to some healing rooms. It was a porter cabin in the grounds of a church, and so up we went, and uh, there's a waiting room, and we were just um, listening to worship music while we were waiting, and then when your name was called, you'd go in and be prayed for. So we were just sitting in the worship, and it was beautiful, and I just felt the presence of God so strong on me. It was just lovely. And after a little while, I had this weird sensation here. And I knew, I don't know how to describe it, but I knew that he was washing my blood. It was a weird sensation, but I knew that's what, what he was doing. And it took quite a while. And I just sat there in his presence, and I felt him washing my blood clean. Can't I can't really describe it. I just knew what he was doing. And... Uh, we were chatting about this on Friday and Nikki said, yeah, you were like that for about half an hour, just really still. And uh, then you opened your eyes and you looked at me and said, I've been healed. And I did know, I knew I'd been healed. God healed me miraculously on that day and I didn't get Lyme disease and I was fine afterwards. But he doesn't always do it like that, does he? My nephew David... Um, was diagnosed in 2018 with rectal cancer. He had to have surgery and chemo, had a stoma bag. Uh, he was very poorly for quite a while. All the family, Christians, everybody praying for his healing. And he was very unwell for a while. But they were able to reverse the colostomy after all the treatment, and he's been fine. And it's five years next week 
since he came through that. God healed him, but by medical intervention. If we were living in countries where there's no medical intervention, we'd see a lot more healing and miracles because they need them. And we just go straight to the doctor, don't we? And that's not the wrong thing to do, but it's our expectations as well. Another time, sorry it's all about me, but it's my experience so I can tell it. <laughs> um, I had a frozen shoulder and I could not lift it beyond there and it was so painful. So after the service at the church I was in at the time, I went forward for prayer and I made sure I was at the front. I wanted prayer for my shoulder and um, I felt this wriggling and pushing and this tiny little lady came pushing through and stood right in front of me, stuck a hand on my head and started praying. I said, excuse me, you might want to know it's my shoulder. And she said, forget about that. God showed you to me in a dream. And then she started to prophesy over me. My goodness, I can't tell you what she said. I, I don't remember a word of it. I was just like, she's not praying for my shoulder. And... I know something significant happened. She's still my good friend, and she still prays for me regularly. But I went forward from a shoulder, and God didn't do that. He did something completely unexpected. When we're praying for each other, it's important to spend time listening. Because maybe they've come forward with a sore back, but maybe God wants to do something else. Maybe they've come forward with a physical or an emotional pain, but God actually wants to heal some trauma from the past. And that will help with the pain. We need to be listening to God every time. In our workplaces, in our families, whatever we're doing, we need to be listening to God. It's really important. Waiting, just spending. You know, you don't have to spend three hours Two or three minutes, a minute. Sometimes it just drops right away. But let's be listening to God. He does things differently. So practicing listening is really important. Point one, God doesn't choose the people we expect him to choose. Point two, he doesn't do things the same way every time. He does things differently. And thirdly, he doesn't always do what we expect him to do. We're going to John 11 in the New Testament, and we read how Lazarus was sick. Mary and Martha were his sisters. They were great friends of Jesus. Jesus loved them, it says in the Bible. And so they sent word to Jesus and said, come and heal Lazarus, he's sick. Their expectation was that he would come and heal them. Jesus had a bigger picture. He wasn't on the same page as them. And he said, this sickness will not end in death, but for God's glory, this sickness will not end in death. Well, we read on in the story, and it was two days before Jesus traveled off to see Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And by that time, Lazarus had been dead four days and was in the tomb. This sickness will not end in death, but he's dead and in the tomb four days. But he had a bigger picture going on and he knew that this was going to glorify his name. And um, he healed Lazarus by raising him from the dead. An amazing thing. They weren't expecting that. 
but he raised him from the dead. Maybe we've got hopes and dreams and it feels like they're dead, dead and gone. But Jesus is the God of resurrection. He brings new life. He's amazing. He's so steadfast and sure and solid and we can utterly depend on him. And when we don't get the answer we expected, the girls wanted him to heal Lazarus, do we give up or do we say, Lord, what are you doing? Because he had a different agenda. And it wasn't long after that that Jesus was on the cross dying and he went into death and defeated it and he rose from the dead. What a lovely picture Lazarus being raised from the dead is for those who then saw Jesus raised from the dead. Oh yeah, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He's come back from the dead. So to summarize, God is utterly dependable, unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever in who he is. And because of that, and when our relationship is solid in knowing who he is, he's a trustworthy foundation for when he does the unexpected and when he challenges us. I think as we look around, we see the world as a mess. If you wanted to sort of start from here to make things better, where would you start? I mean, you look around and you think, well, where would you start? It's such a mess everywhere, isn't it? But God has a bigger picture. And he is asking us to be light in the darkness, to bring hope to the world. And he's challenging us to step up, to be ready for the surprises for the people he brings along our path. He's challenging us because we need Jesus to come in power and he's chosen to do that through us. So are we ready to listen? Are we ready to be the unexpected person that he calls? Are we ready to, to hear him say things differently? And are we ready to tune in when it seems like he's not heard our prayer and realize that he's got a bigger picture and wait and see what he's going to do? Are we trusting in God's faithful, steadfast nature as our foundation and keeping our eyes on him? Even when it seems that our hopes and dreams have died and been laid in the tomb.